Who knew in the moment? The premise of the show is that as you're living your life, very rarely do you realize the magnitude of a moment while it's happening. However, in hindsight, we can see all of the pivotal moments that led to where we're at. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich, and today I'm honored to have Maggie Thorne with me. Maggie is a mother, a speaker, an entrepreneur, and an America Ninja Warrior competitor. And so uh, super excited to highlight all of her pivotal moments and something that I think stands out in her story is resilience. And so how, you know, we, we have a plan, we know where we want to go. Sometimes the plan takes detours, but we still have to keep going. So Maggie, thanks so much for being on. Pleasure. Excited to be on today. You bet. So to start your story, growing up in California, uh, you you were athletic, but you maybe didn't start uh, enjoying the competitive athletic world until a little bit later on uh, in, in childhood or adolescence. So talk a little bit about getting started in track. Yeah, we were a low-income family and we just didn't have the resources to do sports. So for me, I was that kid 100% who I ran down the neighborhood on the playground. I always wanted to play with the boys and race them. And I was so intent on being active that I literally would not go to the bathroom, which became a problem sometimes as a kid in <laughs> you know, going in the nurse's office. And I was like, I didn't want to stop playing, you know. Um, so I was pretty intense, but I always just, I loved to play, but I didn't know what that looked like outside of that. And in high school, there's a teacher in PE who thought I looked fast, told the track team about it. And I got a letter to come out for track, you know, and I didn't know, Oh, what's this look like? I didn't even know what running shoes were. I had these shoes that said sports shoes. And I thought that's what that was. And I showed up that first day and they said, Hey, have you ever done anything, anything you're interested in? I said, I've seen people jump things, you know, which was hurdles. Yeah. And they set up three hurdles and the coach just said, all right, jump it. And I ended up three stepping and I made varsity as a freshman. So to talk a little bit about, you know, the idea behind competitive sports versus just having, you know, kind of a natural love for something, um, you know, as you get more ingrained in it, there is this level of detail that you need to have success, but there's also something about just being passionate about having fun with something. So talk a little bit about the balancing act for you of, Hey, it was just something you truly enjoyed. You like being out running and then getting into the more competitive side. Yeah, I would say that's been a lifelong journey in terms of something like I've come back to, I just really love this. Yeah. I'm still a competitor, but I know how to turn that off more now. I mean, that just comes with age. As a kid, I mean, not doing sports, both my brothers were in and out of jail. They were high school dropouts. Um, all I had was their hand-me-down clothes. So middle school for me was rough. Mm. I definitely, I got locked in a locker. I got fights. I mean, it was just a rough time. And so when I got to high school and all of a sudden I became a varsity athlete and well-known, I went from being this mega nerd <laughs> to a mega nerd who was athletic. And um, I, I really had my identity wrapped around sports. So it wasn't necessarily passion, but I had this relentless drive to do more and more and more. And I wanted to be president of every club and I got really involved in the community, which you know God would use in my life later. Um, you know, whatever we start with, maybe with intentions that aren't great, God can still make great things out of it, which he's done over my life. But it went from, I have to do this. I have to do this and more and more and more until in college, I just kind of bottomed out and 
fell out of love with it. And I was so tied to Pepsi athlete of the year, us elite meat record holder until I just, I had to lose something to realize how much I actually loved it. And that's what happened with track is I lost my scholarship. I got a full ride to run at Nebraska and I had a horrible year and it was just a hard, difficult transition. I wasn't equipped with the skills to navigate that as a student athlete. You know, it's different for student athlete now, even then in terms of support services. Yeah. And so it was something where I was just scared. I was scared to perform, to run. I had lost, you know, the identity around it until one day I decided, you know what, I just have to try again. And that's what it started was really just a very small decision that I can't be scared. I just had to put one foot in front of the other. And that's really how I approach life in general now. But what that did was that loss is when I really fell in love with track and when I really fell in love with sports. So to unpack that, I think that's super important because so often, you know, when we are doing well and excelling at something and then all of a sudden it stops going well for us, there's a lot of people that have to make that moment or that decision in the moment of, do I continue on? Or is this where I hang it up? I say, I'm done. And you were resilient. You said, Hey, yeah, I went from being kind of, you know, top in California to getting to, you know, division one athletics and losing a scholarship, but I'm going to bounce back from this. So were there mentors in your life at that time? Or were there people feeding into you? Or was that just a personal decision that Maggie made to, to find herself there? You know, I would say that's where God was working before I knew his name and yeah. who he was. And that's just really how he started speaking in my life is these little moments of, I know who you are and what you're meant to do and, and don't give up. And mm -hmm. that for all the dumb decisions I made, which were plenty um, in California, there's all these, these little moments of maturity that would pop up that I think, you know, he was speaking to me and I really had to start to learn how to listen of hey, don't stay in California. If you want to graduate, you need to go to school in another state, you know, things like that, that started to breathe in. And it was really just, you know what, I'm going to try today. Yeah. And that's what usually stops people. And most of their goals and dreams and anything is the fear. You know, you could say, oh, I don't have stage fright. I'm a confident person. I'm fearless. I'm going to be very clear. I am not fearless. I'm just willing to be uncomfortable. Mm. But that is something that's shaped me, but I had to experience the different levels of discomfort. That's really good. Now, as your college career continues, uh, there becomes a regional meet where you decide, yeah, you know, whatever, I'll go run. And from that, a top five happens. And that's an important thing. So talk a little bit about this regional meet and that race. Someone has definitely done their homework. Good job. <laughs> yes, that's a deep article somewhere out there. I know it. it's not very common, but good work. Um, yeah, I was fourth at the Big 12 Championships, but then you go to regionals and going into the finals for regionals, I made it into finals, but I was ranked last. Actually, I was ninth and I was out in the outer lane, which is a hard lane to run in if you know anything about sports. And I just decided, you know what? I'm going to go out. I'm going to run my race, my best. And I literally could not be concerned about anyone else because I couldn't see anybody. Yeah. And when I turned the corner, I realized, you know, top five go. And I, as I'm running one, two, three, four, five, 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 five. And I actually yelled <laughs> five the whole way down. And it was, I mean, I get goosebumps talking about it because it was this new energy that came in me that while I was going five, 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 you know, and you know, I didn't have expectations going into it, 
But I did want to still run my best. And what was the result is I ended up making it to the national championship in and I wasn't even supposed to, you know, and that's what we have to do. We have to show up every day in every way and not worry about what's behind us or what's in front of us. Yes. So talk a little bit about just that feeling of jubilation when you realize you're in fifth, right? Or you're in the top five and then finishing in the top five after really, you know, to your point, not being ranked, not really assuming that you'd have a shot at this. Oh my gosh. I was so excited. My coaches were excited. My friends were excited. You know, Nebraska is something that made it really special when I ran at that time is as an entire team, we were so close. People look at track as an individual sport. And I never felt that way as a part yeah. of Nebraska tracks. We were, I mean, I'm best friends with some of my uh, fellow student athletes to this day. And they ran around me. They were supportive. My coach was over the moon, you know, he was like, I had a Latvian coach. He was like, Maggie, I told you, you know, like <laughs> Russian voice. And, um, it, he, he prepared me for that though. He really gave me the mentality of, we had a meet in winter and it was awful. I mean, we're in the Midwest, it's windy. I mean, you can really see why other people might go elsewhere, but I always <laughs> think, man, if you can run in Nebraska, you can run anywhere. Um, and we were in Kansas and it was sleeting sideways. And yet they're still holding this track meet. And I told my coach, Victor's, I was like, Victor's, I want to run. I'm watching other athletes pull out. Lo and behold, I get the Russian coach who's like, <laughs> no. And he told me, he goes, Maggie, if today was Big 12 championship, would you run? I said, well, yeah, Victor's, but he goes, no, if today was national championship would you run well victor's yeah but he's like then today you run <laughs> and every day you run actually it wasn't like that was yeah. so helpful my eyes were burning and getting pelted i was in a <laughs> windsuit running i ran every single race that day i ran the four by one the hundred hurdles the 400 hurdles and the four by four in freezing, sleeting, snow, rain. And it, it shaped me. I mean, yeah. it, it shaped me forever. And it's those moments where the things that don't people want it, that people don't want to do, but you're willing to do, that's how champions are made. Boom. You're going to rewind that and listen to that. That is good. Now from winning the regional that qualifies us for nationals. And while you're there, uh, there's a, a group or an employer that says, hey, we might need some help with some things in this summer at a College World Series event. And that makes it an important connection for you in your personal life as well. So talk a little bit about how that kind of parlays together. Yeah, I mean, my path to Christ was sports and that opportunity, that job opportunity brought me to a job in Omaha. And I was living in Lincoln, you know, I was a student athlete at the university and I was commuting every day. And I met this girl named Susan who said, Hey, you don't have to commute every day. You know, actually I'm going to rewind a second. When I first met her, I'd been setting up. I was exhausted. She was like, Hey man, what's up? And I was like, Oh my God, what's wrong with you? I was so moody. And the next day I showed up, I was like, I'm really sorry. It was completely on me. And we actually became best friends right then and there. Um, and she said, why don't you just come live with me for the summer? I was like, really? And so I did. And then after that, she said, Hey, do you want to go to a concert with me? And I was like, okay. What she didn't tell me was it was the Christian music festival. And on the way there, she just said, do you know God? And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, okay, cool, 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 you know? Um, 
And when we were there, she just kind of sat back and let God work. And we were sitting there and I was listening to Switchfoot and it just, it hit. Like I was asking God questions. Like if you're real, show yourself to me. Mm. I don't understand. Like I would have classified myself as an atheist straight up. Didn't believe just all the stuff that had happened in my life. I'm like, there's no way there can be a God. And then I started to, oh, well, maybe. And, you know, was just curious. And that's what God wants is just a dialogue. And so I asked and she was so great where she really just loved me with where I was at. I was a disaster, probably still am, but um, she just was so sweet. And we're listening to Switchfoot and I was like, I get it. Susan, I get it. Like, I love Jesus. And she was like, oh my gosh, I thought this was going to take years, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And God just really smoked me and worked in my heart. And I remember, you know, we travel a lot. We traveled a lot as student athletes. And I picked up the little Bible at the hotel rooms and it was just foreign to me. I absolutely couldn't read a Bible. Um, I was curious, but I was like, whatever. And I'll tell you why I opened a Bible and I could read it. And it was just, it felt so miraculous. Um, But something that was very difficult was, oh, I called my brother. I called my family. My brother's like, hey, everybody, I love Jesus. And my mom's like, you know, my other brother's like, cool. And then my oldest brother said, I don't want to hear any of that. Yeah. And that was it. And that was like, wow, okay. Like I had this great moment. My family wasn't really embracing it and just was such an outsider. Um, and then two months later, that same brother who said, I don't want to hear any of it, um, took his life. Now, talking about that, uh, I think there can be a common misconception, right? Where, hey, if I all of a sudden become a believer, life's going to be great. It's going to be perfect. And and that's how it is. And the reality is, is that that's not, <laughs> that's not what changes, but there's a different perspective on life that, that comes from having a faith life. So talk a little bit about that season for you going through that, you know, extremely difficult situation, all the while still just kind of trying to figure out what this faith thing is for you. Yeah. In terms of, I mean, so to rewind one step, just a couple months earlier, we had broken a school record. We were 11th in the nation in the DMR distance medley relay. I ran the 400 leg doing really well. Our team as a whole was third in the nation at the national championship. And I got back and I, that's when I had actually experienced like the most deepest loss feeling ever in my life. Mm. I was like, oh, I've got everything I wanted that my goals and I hadn't experienced that kind of sadness. So I'd actually tried to take my own life that year. And then wow. just a few months later, accept Christ. And then a couple months later, my brother took his life. So in terms of the darkness that was surrounding my family, it's very dark. Um, in terms of the timing of it, I mean, I can't imagine going into my brother's funeral, actually not knowing Christ. And mm-hmm. just to be transparent, two nights ago or one, yeah, two nights ago, um, for the last time I read over what I read at his funeral, you know, I was two months in a new believer and I'm throwing out scripture and, you know, um, I read it to the person I'm with and I was like, you know what, it's time to let go of this. And I, 18 years later, it was just ready to, to really grieve him finally. Yeah. Um, but, but really seeing how God worked in my life during that time, um, was, was impactful. Absolutely. Now, I'd like to dive into, you know, your piece of that story, though, too. I think, unfortunately, that's an all too familiar 
thing that high achievers can understand. Uh, you know, I've, I've been going for this mountaintop moment of, you know, being at the top of my company or being the lead salesperson or, you know, getting the relationship that I wanted. But then there's something about my actual life that just doesn't feel as fulfilled. And you know, now what do I do with it? So maybe, you know, talk to somebody that's listening that says, I, I relate, right, Maggie? Like I've been trying for all these goals and I finally hit them all, but it doesn't feel like I thought it would. Yeah, it is pretty typical, you're right, of, of high achievers. But I think along the way, what has helped is one, have you accepted that God made you this way? Because it can be difficult to be someone who's very driven man or woman in in any scenario. Um, but being able to have that support and saying, I know I was designed this way and I'm going to fully embrace it. That's really important because otherwise we can have guilt and shame and like those aren't things you know, God wants us to be in tune with, like, if we start to have those thoughts, I know that's not from God. Well, not always. I mean, <laughs> that, that we yeah. all have rough patches. That's just yeah. real. I, I don't want to ever talk like I have it all figured out. Like I never go through it. Um, oh. We're always in process, but the power is in when we share and we're transparent. So um, I think it's important to know, okay, I've been made this way and I'm going to say who I am and what I'm meant to do, because I just talked to someone about this the other day. You, they said, oh my gosh, you're such a successful person. Number one, nope, huge failure who just keeps going. Like I don't fail, I fall forward. Mm. And then number two is I've just stayed myself. I can't tell you how many times people told me I need to change. And I did at one point in my life, I think that was the struggle is I was changing and adapting. I was like this chameleon adapting yeah. to every environment until I really realized I could just settle into who I was meant to be and made to be and that I mean any endeavor I've done in the last uh 12 years I'd say is when I was like no I'm not going to change because I know now at this point if I win but I change who I am mm. it's going to be the greatest loss of all yeah and so that's where it lies for for achievers for driven people for the go-getters is staying true to you yeah. because God's always going to give you the audience that's in tune with you Mm, that's good. Now, as I hear you say that, something I think about though is, all right, how do I take advice from certain people and know that it's good advice and it's helping me? And how do I hear other people's advice, but realize maybe that's not in sync with where I'm going? Yeah. Self-work, one-on-one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, if you're not in tune with yourself, you won't be able to discern that. And that's been a journey of mine since my TBI. I would say, gosh, I'm not sure I was super in tune with myself. I would have liked to think I was. I think I was a little like unaware, um, but that's all part of the process and growth and maturity. And that's why you get all these memes that are like aged like a great cheese, you know, or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> is, is things come with time. Yeah. And your time can be any time. I mean, someone could realize this in their twenties and their thirties. Mine was in my mid thirties, but, but it's really just part of that process and being in tune with it to know I don't have to be in tune with what you say. Well, I appreciate you and value your opinion and you can sit and reflect on it. But that other piece that comes with it and the sitting and reflecting is have you built that time into your life? The greatest yeah. thing in my life is building in rest. Do mm. I have a rest day? Um, do I have a day where I can sit and process and think? And like you do, you said I, every year I take a year and I sharpen my sword or saw or ax. I don't know. 
pick your weapon. Um, yeah. but, but that's necessary. And if yeah. we can't sit still, um, that's where we're going to really struggle. That's great. So as track at Nebraska is ending, you're graduating and you love the university so much that you're like, well, I'd like to stay on and uh, just help grow the university and what it can do for others. So talk a little bit about that part of your life and helping, you know, raise money and do projects uh, for the university. Yeah, I wouldn't say I love the university. It was like, I need to stay here. (laughs) I was a student athlete who had one class left and thought, I should do something else with my time aside watching Law and Order SVU at home, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't like watching anymore. It gives me the scares. But um, I really wanted to do something with my time and get a job. So I asked the track coaches, you know anyone looking for a job? And lo and behold, the grounds crew, the, excuse me, um, the construction crew who does their project management facility and design for Nebraska Athletics needed a grounds crew worker. And so I showed up every day and I had, we're like, oh, we've heard you're a hard worker because I didn't like to take breaks. I had a fanny pack filled with snacks and this is when I still had like my little Nokia. Oh yeah. And some music, you know, but nothing really crazy. And they had heard about it. They heard about my work ethic. And so they brought me in, had me answer some phones because I was the only other girl and only girls can answer phones. Not true. Um, But there's a group of guys in there talking about projects. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to speak up. And so I had an idea and I shared it. And Mm. who was I? I was a girl that they knew who had wiped down every bleacher in Memorial Stadium. I'd been vacuuming sweets, scraping up pizza and sunflower seeds, you know, in front of my friends as they walked by, you know, hi guys, your practice, you know, and it, it caught their interest though. Yeah. And leaders, real leaders can identify talent or drive. And so Boyd Epley was very instrumental in that. He founded the National Strength and Conditioning Association and he really kind of discipled me. He just saw something in me where he's like, okay, let's give you some projects, see where you take it. And he just let me run with it. I had no idea how to do anything, but it sparked something in me where Every day when everyone left the office, I stayed and I taught myself how to do architectural programs, Photoshop, CAD, SketchUp. I mean, I literally just stayed and for hours on end, I would teach myself software um, until one day they were like, okay, there's a job opening. And they had hired an intern, a gentleman who had a master's degree in architecture. And here I was, I had a bachelor's degree in community health and I was really used to be on the grounds crew. Um, but what they understood was, wow, she's really passionate. I understood the student athlete and the kind of environment they needed to be in. And you can be the most talented person in the world, but you can't replace drive. That's something you can't build in someone. And so I got the job and I ended up designing and managing the facilities I used to clean for 10 years. Yes. Now, for a lot of people hearing that, they're probably sitting here thinking, but Phil, I thought you said in her intro that she's an entrepreneur, so that she gets to the pinnacle or, you know, is crushing at this job, why would she ever leave? And so just highlighting that, so you're doing really well, and all of a sudden you get this new opportunity, and you decide, well, I think I want to go explore this, I think this is a good opportunity from me. But it came because a friend of yours had passed away. So talk a little bit about kind of the series of events that leads you to thinking, you know what, I want to try a different opportunity. Yeah, I had accelerated in my career really fast at Nebraska Athletics, and I loved it. I loved working there so much. Um, I got to work with student athletes and coaches, and just it was an amazing time there. 
Um, but then my best friend, she took her life and the day of her funeral, uh, watching her coffin go into the ground, I just felt like God called me to build people and not buildings. And I quit. Um, <laughs> we were in the middle of the biggest major capital campaign in the history of Nebraska athletics. And I was helping lead that. So I'm like, okay, I told my boss, I'm going to leave. I want to finish out what I'm in charge of. I mean, there's so many details that wouldn't have been fair to hand that over to someone new. So I basically had a succession plan um, and quit. Everyone told me I was ruining my life. I would never be successful again. Like, look at where you came from. Like you yeah. reminded me very much. So you used to pick up trash. Now you're in leadership. You're never going to have this kind of opportunity. And I was like, I know who I am and what I'm meant to do. And that it really started quite a few years of challenges and friendships, relationships where I'm like, I can't ignore what God's telling me. And they're like, how do you know it's God? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah, trust me. I know. Like, cause there's days where I was like, why, you know, um, because it's difficult. I, think it's a misnomer if you say God calls you just know and everything's easy and he makes everything you know just super possible and I'm like <laughs> like my path is over here with like thorns and snakes and you know I'm running through arrows and fire but who comes out stronger of that that's where you become a warrior um and so I left and in my mid-30s became a professional athlete <laughs> after having three kids yeah now <laughs> I want to talk through going <laughs> you know, going through the muck of listening to all these outside opinions. And something you said was, I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to do. But when you were in that moment, did you know what you were going to do? No. And, you know, in every, every 10 years, I write a statement, a decade on purpose. Yeah. And in 2010, um, I was still married at the time. I had only had two children. I thought I was only going to have two children. <laughs> you know, someone's like, you have your replacements, one boy, one girl. And I'm like, well, I've never thought of my kids that way, but I guess you're right. You know, <laughs> and so I really was like, okay, I, I started to develop a passion for missions and international service work. And so I went to Haiti during the earthquake. So I was like, God, I want to help women and orphans. Yeah. That was a huge piece of it for me is this is a big core part of the next 10 years. I want to empower youth and again, women and, and what is and families and mm. what does that look like? Like those are my top core areas in addition to serving my children well. I didn't know that was going to come in the form of American Ninja Warrior, Mrs. International, uh, global obstacle racing, and eventually becoming a global ambassador or to international nonprofits traveling the world on their behalf, you know, equipping the poor and underserved and underrepresented in over 10 countries. Yeah. So, <laughs> so diving into the, 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 oh, the tough mutter uh, and the competition for that. I mean, what sparked that original idea? Why, why that event of all the events one could do and uh, talk a little <laughs> bit about the training for it sprinter phil i had no interest in running distance <laughs> some of my friends said hey you should do a tough mutter all right i'll try it and i ended up doing really well and realized oh this might be something yeah. and it, i mean 
if all of a sudden you become something very good at something, I think you should tune into it, but also mm. ask, okay, am I doing this just because I'm good or can this have impact? Mm. And I realized this could be an area of impact and an additional platform. And so yeah. if it has meaning, I'm more likely to go that way because you could be good at a million things, but you can also spread yourself too thin and be in the wrong direction, you know? So, okay, well, I'm going to try this. And I went out, I ran eight miles once. <laughs> And then decided I want to do the world's toughest mutter. I wanted to make myself uncomfortable. And I actually really wanted to see what was possible in me because I wasn't yeah. sure. So what my training looked like, I watched a bunch of videos. I did research and I realized at some point after 25 miles, your body's just going to do what it's going to do. And it comes down to your mind. Mm. What can your mind push through? So my training included making myself extremely uncomfortable. I'd fill my shoes with rocks, run as far as I could. I would soak myself in mud and then run. I'd eat a full meal and have someone drop me off on the opposite side of town. And I had to make it home. You know, um, I'd go running at one in the morning, four in the morning. I'd go sit in a lake in frigid temperatures, you know, to, okay, what's this feel like? What is my mind doing in this moment? Yeah. Uh, what's my mental response going to be? And so I'd say more than anything, I quit, I quit myself mentally. And my goal when I showed up was I just want to run 26 miles. That's uh, it. You did a little bit better than that. Anything above and beyond that would be great. Well, I'd never done a marathon Yeah. up to that point. I mean, <laughs> really outside of my spectrum of things. And so that's what I did is I just put one foot in front of the other for 24 hours and it ended up accumulating to 75 miles and 330 obstacles in 24 hours. But with that was, I mean, around midnight, I was exhausted. I'd had maybe 50 miles in. It was midnight or 1 a.m. Yeah. I thought, I'm going to take a nap, you know, no experience. So I'm in my wetsuit already. You're by yourself. You couldn't have help on the course. I laid down, set the timer on my phone, but it was so cold. We're in New Jersey in November. So cold, my phone died. And the only reason I woke up is that, you know, they do a medical check because I hadn't moved for a while, like literally hadn't moved. They're like, Thorn, medical check. And I went, and I realized, oh my gosh, I think I've been asleep for longer than I wanted. Yeah. I have to keep going. It was besides birth, probably the most physical pain I've ever been in. I'm wet, soaked. I've been sleeping for an hour. My body was stiff. Yeah. I sat up and it, what it took just to put one foot in front of the other was horrible. And I'm like, I just have to keep going one after the other. That's it. I walked over to the food service tent and they had hot water and everybody is halfway done or like taking their break. And I walked in and I grabbed the pots of hot water and I poured it all over my wetsuit and people were going, and I was like, so, because <laughs> I knew my body just needed a shock. Yeah. It needed to be uncomfortable again. I needed something to jumpstart it. So I put it down and I walked out and it literally was like, you know, um, and then I had already secured second place. I'd run 70 miles. But lo and behold, if you run 75 miles, you get a special silver gift. <laughs> and I needed that. That's so right. If you, if you made it in under 10 o'clock, you could run as long as you wanted, as long as you're in before 10, and it would count towards your mileage. So 
they had the cameras, they're all coming around me and they're like, oh, you got second place. And I was like, yeah, I'm not done. I grabbed a handful of Oreos from the medical tent and I was like, <laughs> see you later. Ate some Oreos, ran another five miles. And when I say ran, let's hold that term very loosely. <laughs> I walked very fast. Yeah. You know, the last five miles of 75 miles. And then I was done. And I made it like I had enough energy to get through the award stand and the ceremony. And the minute I laid down, someone came over and was like, <laughs> and I was like, I'm alive. Just leave me alone. You know, I was, I was done, done for sure. So I, I want to learn more about the mental part because there's a phenomenal book out there called grit. And, you know, it talks about how people achieve amazing things. And it's oftentimes this factor of grit, which can be defined many ways, but one is, you know, doing things you don't want to do to get to results that most people won't. And I think as I hear you talk about it, you know, yeah, I didn't ever run 70 miles, right? Like this wasn't something I was well equipped to be able to do, but mentally I had prepared myself. And I think oftentimes that's the toughest part, right? Is the mental pushing yourself and keep going physically before your body quits on you mentally, right? So talk about that for you and maybe how a lot of life experiences and, you know, just keeping on pushing through some of those difficult things in life also helped uh, in that step-by-step -step journey. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things I'll tell you, I was very motivated by my why. And I think people say, oh, know your why. It's not just knowing your why. You need to have a why so big. And I'm talking big that you can explain it to yourself because you more than anybody are going to be the one who questions yourself. You're, of yeah. course, you're going to question other people and why do you do this, which is mostly representative of their own, um, I don't want to say shortcomings, but their own insecurities and inadequacies. It's not necessarily a representative of you. You can tell someone's coming from love or from their own place. Yeah. So being able to discern that but you're going to question yourself. Mm -hmm. and so can you answer it? So yeah. I knew my why, my why was very big. I thought a lot, my brother had already passed away. My best friend had already passed away. And during that, I thought a lot about no matter what pain I'm ever in for the rest of my life, it, it probably won't be like what it was in that moment when they made that choice. And so I want to do this to honor them. I want to walk in love. I want to mm. keep no matter what it takes. I never want to give up. And it never give up is a big saying for me. And it's, yeah. it's so many meetings, um, but it's not something I just say anymore. I've become never give up. And so how can you be, not only know your why, become your statement and then live that out. And that's, I think that's the core of what those things take. Those items take is you are constantly doing the things you absolutely don't want to do. If people think I really want to wake up and work out every day and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to work out. They're out of their minds. There's yeah. days where I literally am on the floor in front of my door being like, I don't want to. I know I need to. You know, I'm having this conversation with myself. You're welcome. Don't worry if this happens to you. You're not crazy. You're just <laughs> uh, that you have to know how to interact with your own dialogue and say, okay, we're going to do this, but then do it with, with joy, you know, mm. knowing that this is going to add up. It's like pennies. Most people don't pick up a penny. They don't think they have value, but every single thing adds up to something and everything adds up to value, no matter how small it is. And our decisions are like those pennies. Love it. Yes. Now you mentioned it, you win this Miss International competition and then the American Ninja Warrior. 
and you had had a roommate from college that had joined in this uh, competition as well. So talk a little bit about how this becomes an idea and how you start um, trying out for it. Yeah, Mrs. International was um, a piece of where I thought, you know, I really want to interact with the world better, but I knew I didn't necessarily have a good stage presence. Like it, it was probably one of the best things I've ever done as well. In addition, like I have kind of my big three, American Ninja Warrior, the international pageant system and world's toughest mutter. Those really shaped me who I am in addition to my faith, which is my foundation. But the international pageant, again, everyone was like, you're too muscular. You shouldn't be a queen who does mud races. <laughs> I mean, I really, people, nobody thought I was going to do anything. So um, when I won, I literally did a touchdown dance and I was like, yeah, you know, and I'm in seven inch heels and this beautiful <laughs> gown and the other girls were like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> like they didn't know what to do with themselves. But I was so excited because I didn't change who I was. Now, as a piece of that, I was like, okay. Um, I had a former Miss USA help train me for speaking. And she's like, you got to stop wearing black all the time. You know, I had been in the construction industry. So yeah. I'm, everything was just very gray and black and boring. And so she brought color into my life, you know, <laughs> to reflect more of who I was. And then um, in any given scenario, you should be able to tell your story in 30 seconds. Obviously mm. we're doing it a little longer right now, but yeah. um, she taught me and that's impactful. Those are important things actually. Like you should be able to be shaped in that way to mm. interview, to tell your 30 second story. If someone hands you a mic and says, how do you want to change the world? You better know what to say. And so that actually was really helpful to do American Ninja Warrior because that started what has now been a nine year journey of doing shows for NBC. And you mentioned Jessie. She was my roommate in college. I heard she did it. I've seen her. I was, I'm always so proud of her, uh, Jessie Graff. And so I tried it. And I did horrible my first year because I thought, oh, I've done all these things. I've been Mrs. International and World's Toughest Mudder. Like, I got it. I fell on the first obstacle. They aired it. People are like, oh, you're the girl that fell. <laughs> And it, I mean, there's nothing like having your failures on international television. Yeah. I want to be uncomfortable, do that first. So, but and it, it was good because I was like, I know again who I am and what I'm meant to do. So it became, um, and it was actually four years before I was on the show again. And I came back as the top female in my region, made it to the internet, to the national finals. And it was again, this journey where everybody said, quit, give up. They don't want you. You're not what they're looking for. And I'm like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm so sorry. Like I, I had to explain myself so much and um, it built me, it built resilience and character. And I mean, most of all my faith where I was like, God, are you sure? You know, like yeah. I spent nights in tears and just, I'd go out and run and like, God, are you serious? Like, this doesn't make sense. And I would always hear from him though. Like, and it, it wasn't like he was sitting down. He's like, all right, here's your 10 step plan. So your purpose, you know, he, it was just like, yes, go. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's okay. It's okay to have those emotions. I don't think you need to answer God with, okay, God, I'm all in. Like he doesn't need you to be that. You can say, okay, what he wants is our real self because that's who he is as a father and a nurturing father and 
I think that's also how we experience our get our best journey is to really experience and feel everything. Yes, that's so good. Now, as you are continuing to, you know, work in the American Ninja Warrior competitions, yeah, you've been a consistent, you know, person on the show for a long period of time. And so just talk a little bit about what that's been able to do for the brand and how that allows you have maybe opened some doors on the speaking front. Yeah, American Ninja Warrior has been a huge platform, especially for Never Give Up, for empowering moms, for empowering moms to be active, have dreams. Girls, I mean, Girl Scouts, we've been able to do a lot of different activities and partnerships with Girl Scouts to empower young girls to say, hey, anything is possible, literally. And I believe that. I believe anything's possible at any age. That's why I wear the pink bow. It represents all those dreams and hopes you had as a child that they're still true today. Because what happens to us? life becoming an adult responsibility other people's opinions but it still holds true you just have to believe it you know is that in you yes absolutely i'll tell you yes right now and so it's it's been huge and then even being able to partner with programs like souls for souls or convoy of hope speed one and advocate for the poor and the orphans which that was a part of my tenure decade on purpose, I literally have been able to do everything where I sat down 10 years ago when all I was doing was showing up in an office every day in a very black suit. Um, and that was just, that was it. That was yeah. the story and, and God opened my eyes to how I could really interact and serve with the world with the gifts and talents he's given. I don't think it's necessarily super normal to be a 41 year old professional athlete <laughs> you know i mean at yeah. some point my body's going to be like no um but so i want so i want to honor that and yes. honor what that looks like and and let that serve the world yes now in the most recent venture that's kicking off we have the joy flow company so talk a little bit about what that mission is and what you're uh, starting there yeah, thank you for asking that. Joy Flow Co. is really to empower, equip active women of any age. We just did our first in-person event called Jumpstart Joy. We partnered with the Girl Scouts. We created a new patch, which of course had a signature bow on it. Um, but what that really looks like is act- physical activity looks different for everybody. But Diane Banderas, my business partner and I, we want that to look like a love of a lifetime activity, which mm-hmm. could be different. Not everybody loves running. That's fine. Like, You don't have to love it, but we do want people to be active, physically healthy, and promote that in terms of even self-confidence and how they're going to interact with the world and even with their mind. Um, We had the AIM Institute be a part of it to help do introduce robotics and just, we have to show opportunity and what's available. Sometimes we can have a narrow vision unless you're exposed to what's out there, which can be a really beautiful thing and spark something surprising. Yes. I love it. So with that mission, then is it targeted towards any certain age of girls? I mean, I hear you, you know, partnering with, um, girl scouts, but every age. All right. That's great. Every age, uh, Diane Banderas, I went through a traumatic brain injury, a mild traumatic brain injury on American Ninja Warrior. And I had retired. I spent a year in outpatient at Madonna. I never thought I was going to come back to sports. It was a miserable year. Um, And that shaped me. That's when, for the first time, I had emotional goals in my life. And I was like, oh, this part of me matters, you know? Um, 
And then Diane, she trained me. She was incredible. And we really developed a friendship and then realized we had such similar goals that we said, hey, do you want to team up and impact the world? Yeah. And that's what we've been doing. And we're starting to form some international relationships after, I mean, it hasn't even been a year. And so we're really excited about what we're going to do. We've tried the podcast thing. We can't quite keep up with it because we're so busy, um, but we are going to move towards like in-person events because they've cool. been pretty successful so far. Now, you said something very just off the cuff. But I want to dive into it for a minute. And that is I had emotional goals. Cool. Um, for people, we oftentimes have emotional events throughout our life that cause us to build up walls. And if we don't if we don't process them, they carry forward with us into next events. And sometimes we don't even realize where it's coming from because we've tried to suppress emotions that we've had. So what type of emotional goals and work did you do to, you know, eliminate walls or to, you know, not hold on to any, you know, bitterness, resentment, things that had maybe built up? Oh gosh. Yeah. So uh, during my TBI, I really, when I actually, they did a psychiatric evaluation, not psychiatric, um, just like an evaluation to see your emotional state. Mm. And it, for so long, especially as a single parent going through a divorce, like you always feel like you have to hold it together. Mm. And it, I think there's a lot of moms that feel like that, the pressure of being a mom, especially if you're a working mom. I mean, it can just be crushing sometimes. Yeah. And so I was always in this mode of I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I never wanted to not be fine because you have to show up every day for your kids. Yeah. And it, when I went through my TBI, when I did that evaluation, I was still in that mode, even though I was really hurting and miserable physically and that journey of, okay, you're going to be here for two months. And then it was extended, extended, extended till it was like a year long process. Wow. And I went in one day and I said, Hey everybody, just so you know, I'm not okay. I probably need help. <laughs> and they're like, okay, we don't know how to receive this. Cause I literally was like that. Cause yeah. I, I didn't know how to be vulnerable and mm. let that out. And so she, they're like, excuse me. <laughs> I started to, you know, like I'm trying to hold back my tears and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not okay. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, and I'm like, no, really, I need help. And so they're like, okay. And so that really started the journey for me where they were like, yeah, like let's, let's tackle this. And then, um, during that process, they're like, wow, you've really been through so much in your life. And this stillness, the TBI brought stillness mm. into my life. It was very uncomfortable with being still Yeah, Didn't how to do it until I was forced. It forced me to be still. And I felt like that's when God was like, Oh, finally, let's do work. All these prayers you've asked, it's time, you know? Yeah. And I was like, no, it hurts so much, you know? Um, and, and that, I think God wants to answer our prayers. He wants to. Are you really letting him? Mm. And that's what the TBI brought. It's the biggest blessing in my life. But during that, they're like, hey, you need EMDR, which is like, if you've had a lot of trauma, it's that therapy. And that's where I learned about emotional goals. She goes, what are your emotional goals? And I'm like, excuse me, you know, and that, cause I could dial in my 10 year plan, my five year plan. Um, I could tell you my strengths, my weaknesses, where am I at emotionally? Where am I at with my vulnerability? Nah, I don't want to talk about that. So mm -hmm. now I can, 
That's awesome. Well, Maggie, are there any other specific, you know, moments that you want to highlight of, you know, who knew moments that have led you to where you're at today? Oh, gosh. You know, in terms of who knew moments, I'd really say that when I think about how God interacted with people in the world and like who, who is the less of these, you know, um, it's been so important to me to really love on everyone and God surprised me in a lot of those moments. Like if you're always, I mean, I've been on, uh, I went to Oklahoma football game years ago when we were still in the big 12, when I was Mrs. International, I was going to be a guest on the field. And I'm thinking this moment is going to be interacting with someone on the field or, you know, what that's going to look like. And that's going to be the big moment. And what ended up happening is I was on a golf cart by a dumpster and the woman was, who was driving me out to the field. And she actually just started to tell me her whole story in her life. And she just lost her daughter. And, um, she was like, I haven't been able to tell anyone this. And I, almost makes me want to get choked up um I wasn't even that's not even what I was looking you know God just surprised me in that and when we're able to be open with every everybody every single person I think there's there's a lot of those moments and I've in and I've so I have something where I say okay who's my one mm. every event I go to uh who's my one like it doesn't have to be that and then it, really uh doing an ego check i yeah. was part of a big event and these two guys they're like okay the boys are going to be out with this field of six thousand. um maggie you're gonna go over here into an auditorium of 50 students and i was like why can't i have the six thousand people you know i was all grumpy and kind of egotistical honestly and I went to that room and again, I experienced in a really incredible, beautiful moment. Someone came up after, poured their heart out, said, I haven't been able to share this with anybody. The two guys, they were like, that was miserable. Nobody paid attention. And I was like, well, it was just a really humbling moment. And so, you yeah. know, who knew? Yep. Who knew what God was going to do in those moments when um, we can set ourselves aside, be open, be open to opportunity, not opposition, and let him do what he really wants to do. I love it. Well, Maggie, thank you. Thank you for sharing just your journey, all the things that you've been through, but all the thing that, things that you've been resilient and accomplished. And there is no doubt that if you continue to be authentically you, like I have no doubt you will, uh, amazing things are going to keep happening. So thanks again so much for sharing your story. My pleasure. Thanks, Phil.